The United States hikes rates, but not by as much as some feared. And as currencies react to this and other news, where is the rand headed? Finally, a new green bond raises a billion rand for clean energy to boost South Africa's ailing grid. Could initiatives like this hold the key to solving our energy crisis? This is no ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at the events and trends moving the markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. A very warm welcome. I'm Jeremy Max. We're going to start in the United States, where the Federal Open Market Committee, it's better known as the Fed, has raised interest rates to 50 basis points as expected. Like other countries, the United States has been feeling the pinch of high inflation, but the central bank is also having to tread carefully to avoid putting the brakes on economic growth. Obakeng Pizzi is the head of sales and structuring at Investec Corporate and Institutional Banking. Obakeng, a very warm welcome. Let me start with this. There were fears of a more aggressive 75 basis points. Why was this even an option? And why was the market even considering it? Thanks, Jeremy. I think the US finds itself in a unique position where inflation is an issue for them and has been an issue for quite some time. I think the current inflation print in the US is around 8.5%, and their target is for it to be around about 2%. So you can see it is materially above their comfort level and that's why calls for 75 basis points were on the table and still remain on the table. But that's why you would have seen a 50 basis point increase by the Fed last week at their meeting. Now, just to add another point to that is that I think the Fed has been caught on the back foot a bit, given that their inflation has been above their target ban for the better part of 12 months. So inevitably, the markets were going to react. Uh, What was the general feeling, the general sentiment? So from a fixed income point of view, Jeremy, I think the reaction was quite muted. What the Fed has done well leading up to their meetings is that they signal to the market quite clearly the intention behind any one decision. So the Fed members in all their capacities, whether it's being directly or indirectly, have signaled to the market that their intention was to increase by potentially 50 bips. And that's exactly what they have done. So from a signaling point of view, the market reaction from a fixed income point of view was quite muted. There was, however, ever a sell-off in equity markets. And one can argue that that was to be expected. So test my thinking here. 50 basis points off a low base is still significant. So I think it begs the question, is there a possibility then that this hike could further slow US and even global economic growth? I think so. I think that is the intention behind the Fed's decision-making here, Jeremy. And I think there is scope for a lot more increases for the year ahead. Now, from a Fed point of view, some of these supply-side shocks were news to them in developments. You know, the situation in the Ukraine and Russia and that impact on energy prices was something that was not expected. And you also have continuous lockdown within the China regions, which will have supply-side implications. So that is the intention. But if you unpack the inflation in the U.S., some of the drivers being energy pricing, being transport, and also accommodation will persist. So I do think that we do see a prolonged period of higher inflation and potentially more hikes in trying to cool the US economy. So looking forward for the rest of the year? So looking forward to the rest of the year, I think the market is expecting probably another one and a half percent increases in the policy rate in the US, where the Fed is maybe more around the one percent, which is interesting because it is the first time where the Fed and the market are sort of kind of singing from the same hymn sheet, whereas 12 months ago, the Fed was only communicating to the market that the first rate hike would be in 2023. And the market was saying, nope, we need rate hikes a lot sooner because of persistent inflation. And now we find ourselves where the two are by and large 
large on the same page. So more increases in the U.S. expected anywhere between 1% and 1.5% by year end. Let's cross the Atlantic now. The Bank of England also hiking rates last week to a 13-year high, if I'm not mistaken, as inflation in Britain hit uh, 10%. So here's the question. With energy prices on the rise and political volatility in the region, is there a risk that higher interest rates could tip the UK into recession? Focusing on England, I think England has been well aware that inflation would be a problem. I mean, the current inflation print in England is actually at 7%, and their view is that it'll reach 10% by the end of the year. Again, similar to the US, they do have a 2% target ban, so that is materially outside of their comfort zone. And you add to that the Ukraine and Russia debacle, which has a material impact on energy prices and inflation therefore. So there is potential that the BOE will increase rates significantly. They have done 90 basis points since quarter four last year. So they were a step ahead of the Fed. And the expectation is that there could be anything between 75 to 100 basis points of increase in England alone for the remainder of the year. And bring it home for us then in conclusion, what does all of this mean for interest rates in South Africa? I think when central banks in the developed markets do increase rates, that does put a pressure on us from an MPC point of view, just to keep the currency at bay. Now, the Saab, similar to BOE, started hiking rates in quarter four of last year. So we are a few steps ahead of the, the Fed. Um, South African MPC has done 75 basis points. We have our meeting later this month, and there has been calls in the market of a 50 basis point increase. But if you look at the Saab's QPM model, they are saying we're only going to do 75 basis points, being an, another 25 basis points each quarter for the year ahead. And I do think the fact that we we're ahead of the Fed in hiking rates does give us a bit of a buffer not to go on a one-for-one. One. But the trajectory is clear in terms of an interest rate trajectory and a South African interest rate market. Obakeng Pizzi, thank you for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. Always a pleasure, Jeremy. This is No Ordinary Wednesday. In just a moment, I'll talk to David Gracie. He's the head of foreign exchange and fixed income trading at Investec about currency volatility and the target price that he is estimating for the RAND. But before we do that, a quick reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please rate us. Just a few weeks ago on No Ordinary Wednesday, when the RAND was having a good run despite global stumbling blocks, we asked the question, for how long? Well, the RAND is now off those highs. And as we've heard from Obachang Pitsi, key central banks in major economies are tightening their monetary policy, which will put further pressure on the relative value of our currency. It really is shaky ground for the RAND. And to explain it all, I'm joined by Head of Foreign Exchange and Fixed Income Trading at Investec, David Gracie. David, a very warm welcome. Let's start with the basics then, if we can. Why should monetary policy decisions in the United States and the United Kingdom matter to the RAND, to our currency? Hi, Jeremy. Uh, it's a rather technical question that has a very long answer, but I'll try and be as brief as possible. Interest rates play a big role in currency movements because investors move money around the world depending on where they can get the best return. So in short, if interest rates are rising in the developed world, that means better returns in so-called safer markets. And therefore, potentially, there are many other factors, of course, that drive currencies. Potentially means an outflow from emerging markets into developed markets. That's one of the reasons 
means if they're raising rates, it means the economy is on a, on a stable footing. But in this case, of course, they're raising rates because of the inflationary threat. That also plays a role. But in short, it's the interest rate differential between those two entities, say in this case, South Africa and the US, which has enjoyed a very wide interest rate differential over the last couple of years. And that interest rate differential now may be closing. And as a consequence, we may see outflows from South Africa. All right, let's move on to this then. And I think it's a fair question or a fair observation to say that our currency has traded in a relatively wide band this year. Is there a single reason as to what is driving this volatility? Unfortunately, not one single reason. So if I go through over the last four months or up until the end of April, since the beginning of January, the RAND has performed really, really well. And that essentially was on the back of one factor, and that was our trade account was enjoying surpluses created by commodity exports, which turned our historic deficit into a strong surplus. And the RAND has been sheltered because of those trade flows and has performed in the first three and a half months of this year quite well, in fact, given that the backdrop globally uh, hasn't been that supportive of the RAND. So really one factor has been driving the performance of the RAND up until this point, the trade account on the back of commodity exports. So where then do you see the currency heading over the next couple of months? And what are the key factors that are going to influence that journey? So, Jeremy, if I zoom in on that commodity story, as I said, has been supportive for the RAND up until mid-April. And although commodity prices are still high and are still supportive for our exports, things have changed a little bit. China's entered into a hard lockdown. They're leaving their citizens at home. And that means that their economy is slowing and they are the global engine for production. They import a lot of raw material. They produce goods and they export that to the rest of the world. So if China slows down, it means that there's a potential for that commodity demand to slow down and as a consequence kind of raise the red flag for commodity exporters. And the more prolonged that that China lockdown is and the longer it carries on, the wider implications it will have for South African exports. And then domestically, more recently, what we have seen is that our own ability to get those resources to market have been hampered by transnet issues, by ports around the world, lock jammed by supply chains that have all but frozen. And so, you know, the red flags are starting to appear with regards to our ability to take advantage of the higher commodity prices. And thus, the RAND has come under pressure, coupled, of course, with rising interest rates globally. So let me finish with this then. Looking through a medium-term prism, what would your forecast then be for a US dollar RAND target price? I think for the moment, the most accurate or the best kind of description I can give it is that we'll be in a sort of wide, volatile trading band, somewhere between 15 and a half towards 17 and a half over the medium term in the next three to six months. You know, there's so many factors at play at the moment, it's very difficult to call any one direction or any one point on the RAND. So I think my best estimate is that we'll sit in a wide range. But for the immediate future, I do see a, a slightly weakening trajectory for the currency. And that's where we're going to leave it. David Gracie, thank you for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. Thank you very much, Jeremy. In our final segment today, we're going to tackle the crucial topic of investing in renewable energy. South Africa's path to renewable energy has been a rocky one, but recent developments seem to hold out hope, not only for a cleaner environment, but also a healthier power grid. One such development is the entry of so-called green bonds. To help us understand why these instruments are important for investors, the environment and the South African economy, I want to welcome now to No Ordinary Wednesday, Head of Debt Capital and Markets, Louis Durka, and Debt Capital Markets Consultant, Mark Abraham. 
to both of you a very warm welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. Louis, I'm going to start with you. What is a green bond and why is it important? Thank you, Jeremy. So green bond, Just I just want to give a little bit of history. The first green bond in the world was issued in 2007 by the European Investment Bank under the label Climate Awareness Bond with the proceeds dedicated to renewable energy and energy efficiency projects. But now to come to your question, what is a green bond? So a green bond is a fixed income instrument designed specifically to raise money for specific climate-related or environmental projects. More specifically, green bonds finance projects are aimed at energy efficiency, pollution prevention, sustainable agriculture, clean transportation, clean water, and numerous others, as well as to finance the cultivation of environmentally friendly technologies and the mitigation of climate change. So just in terms of why is it important, there was specifically dates back with this ESG theme dates back to the 1960s when socially responsible investing was originally introduced and later it was replaced with the matters like ESG that in the last number of years have come to the forefront. So all of this, Mark, is very important, but the proof will be in the pudding, no doubt. How much impact are we actually looking at? How much of the money raised will actually be used to bolster the power grid and help all of us? Thanks, Jeremy. I mean, we, we're looking at 100% impact here. So all of the money that has been raised has been allocated to refinance five existing renewable projects that the bank has been involved in. And these projects all contribute to the easing of pressure off the national power grid. And they do this by adding alternative sources of electricity generation other than those that come from traditional coal-powered stations. So in total, I mean, solar and wind projects will add over 418 megawatts of clean power to the national grid through a mix of solar and wind energy. Most of these projects are located in the Northern Cape for obvious weather reasons and also help contribute towards the social, economic and community development of South Africans living in the area. If we take, for example, the Katu Solar Park, which is a 100-megawatt greenfield solar power project, it will result in a reduction of 6 million tonnes of CO2 over the next 20 years and currently supplies over 179,000 South African homes with stable electricity during the peak periods. Another interesting fact, one of the 50 solar megawatt plants called Bookports is one of the most efficient solar plants in the world. The project is equipped with the largest thermal storage size ever adopted for the size plant, which means it's capable of providing nine hours of energy storage. So, Louis, Mark has given us some very impressive statistics. Let's talk bigger picture here if we can. Obviously, I'm going to assume that this plays an important role in the ongoing conversation about energy transition in South Africa. Yes, uh, 100% correct. I'm sure the listeners would have heard about JET or JET, Just Energy Transition, and this all ties in with that. Just to give a little bit of background, what does this energy transition mean? So obviously, or Just Energy Transition, I think one factor that's very important in that is this uh, whole thing transition, which means gradual movement towards lower carbon technologies. While the Just qualifies this, it must not negatively impact society, jobs, and livelihoods. So you should get the view that it's not green at all cost. There are some implications in terms of this energy transition. And last year, November, specifically France, Germany, the UK, the US, 
and the EU called the Just Energy Transition Partnership raised hopes for South Africa will embark on a comprehensive path towards renewable energy. The partnership aimed to disperse about $8.5 billion as one of the first phases of financing via various mechanisms like grants, concessional loans and investments to support South Africa in reducing carbon emissions. So, Louis, let me ask a follow-up question then. Investec has very recently issued its first green bond worth a billion rand, no small number. What does that mean? So, yes, uh, we did the bond. It was done in February this year. Very successful. That means that off the back of projects that Investec previously financed, the projects Mark mentioned earlier, those projects, we've identified them and refinanced them. We've had bids in the auction about $3.8 billion. So, 3.8 times oversubscribed because we only placed a billion rand. So, we were very happy with the outcome of the bond. It was our first foray into the green bond market with hopefully many more to come. But it was very successful. And just, you know, how did we measure the success except for the level of oversubscription? We also measure the success by the premium, what in ESG terms is called greenium. And that is the difference in yield between green bonds and ordinary bonds issued by a similar entity of a similar maturity. And we were able to calculate a three to seven basis point saving in our bond as we issued. So very successful and also hence the reason for us to pursue further bonds of this nature. No doubt, uh, very successful, Mark. So in conclusion, then, I would assume, given the take-up, that green bonds are here to stay. Are we likely, for instance, to see more of these coming into the market over time? So most definitely, Jeremy. I mean, green bonds are here to stay. Given South Africa's well-developed and deep capital market, it's not surprising that South Africa is leading the way in respect of green bonds. If we look at the rest of Africa, we do expect wide adoption across the continent as governments and corporates respond to the need for social advancement and commitment to deliver on their ESG mandates. Back home, several issuers have accessed the markets, starting with the first green bond locally issued by the city of Joburg back in 2014. And the city used all this funding to fund their green initiatives, some of which included installing over 43,000 solar water heaters. If we take a look at other issuers that have accessed the market locally, that includes the likes of Investec Property Fund, Redefine Properties, City of Cape Town, SA Taxi, Nedbank, Standard Bank, and that's just mentioning a few of them. Looking globally, the green social and sustainable bond market saw over $58 billion of monthly issuance volumes last month, which takes year-to-date volumes to almost, I think it's around just under $300 billion. So to answer the second part of your question, we certainly are likely to continue seeing more green bonds coming into the market. All of this is very encouraging news. Louis Durker, Mark Abram, thank you for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. Please join us again on the 25th of May for our Davos special broadcast as we bring you the latest from the World Economic Forum gathering. Now, if you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, all you need to do is search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.